Oregon beats down Ohio State at the Horseshoe. Iowa gets a statement win against Iowa State. And FSU loses to an FCS opponent for the first time in school history. We'll break it all down next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. After further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. And a personal foul on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's giving them business down there. That's a 15-yard penalty. Well, welcome in, everyone, to another edition of After Further Review. I'm Jay Smith. Thanks so much for tuning in, whether you are watching AFR on Facebook or if you're listening to the AFR podcast available on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, do appreciate you tuning in. Week two of the college football season now in the books. And hey, this was a week that a lot of people kind of thought was a little bit of a a down week for college football, a bit of a sleeper week, right? You only had two top 15 matchups. Uh, There was a lot of uh, non-conference games for some teams and and just tune-up games, right? You know, basically scrimmage games. And were we proven wrong pretty much across the board? I mean, this has been a crazy first few weeks of the college football season. We have now seen 13 of the AP preseason top 25, 13 of those 25 teams uh, have now lost at least a game. So... Take that AP poll and throw it right out the window where it belongs. I've never really been a fan of the AP poll, um, but you know these kinds of uh, of outcomes I think further prove that we really we have no idea and we're just we're just you know shooting from the hip, and uh, yeah, it's largely inaccurate. Now there's a couple of teams that I think are are you know about where they should be. We'll break that down in a little bit, but um, the big takeaway, the big game obviously from this past weekend, has got to be what the Ducks did to the Buckeyes at Columbus. I'm talking about Oregon and Ohio State, a game that uh, really, I think, is a statement win for Mario Cristobal's uh, Oregon Ducks. You know, this is a program that, under Chip Kelly, rose uh, from you know being a pretty decent team in the Pac-12 North to all of a sudden being a national title contender, right? And they never got over that final hurdle. Um, they, they were able to make it to, uh, you know, the championship game uh, against Auburn, and, and then they had uh, the Rose Bowl game against uh, FSU. So they're, they've been in big games. They've had uh, opportunities to play in big-time games, but it had been a few years, right? It had been a few years for Oregon. They had sort of slipped a little bit. Uh, the Pac-12 as a whole, right, had really slipped a little bit. It, it had not been the same Pac-12 that we had been accustomed to seeing with Stanford being a power and Oregon being a power and, you know, obviously USC back in the early to mid-2000s. Um, so it, it had been a little while, and this was, you know, an extremely impressive win. Not only was this a true road game, right, this is a game that was at Columbus, uh, you know, the, no neutral site voodoo Thursday night stuff here. This is a true road game for Oregon, um, pretty much two-thirds of the way across the country, and they Ohio State trailed the entire game. They, they, there was, a, there was a, a brief moment in the second quarter there, about four minutes of actual game time, where it was tied 7-all. But, uh, yeah, the Ducks 
turned it on. Uh, it was a little quiet in the first quarter, scoreless after the first quarter, and then Oregon put together a, a nice 10-play, uh, 99-yard uh, touchdown drive in just under four minutes. Ohio State then did respond with their own touchdown drive of five plays and 70 yards in about two minutes. Um, and Oregon came right back just a few minutes later uh, to go into the half up 14-7, to and they never looked back. What was most impressive to me looking at this game, looking at the box score, uh, and all the you know the, the numbers from it, it's just they didn't let they didn't take their foot off the gas. Oregon got out to a fast start, and they once the teams got going right, it took a quarter for them to kind of you know for both teams to get settled. Um, and once they were able to get going on offense, they they never looked back. And so you really have to credit the Ducks uh, what they were able to do. They racked up over 500 total yards of offense. Uh, no turnovers. That was key. That was that was really key for Oregon. Was you know in the past they've had a little bit of a turnover bug, and to to you know not turn the ball over at all on the road against Ohio State, a team that a lot of people, myself included, had picked as the favorite out of the Big Ten this year, is a huge deal. It is a huge huge deal, uh, and I think. In all honesty, this win for Oregon over Ohio State is going to carry more weight for the college football playoff come you know later this season than Georgia's win over Clemson. Not just because Georgia and Clemson was a lower scoring affair and it was a week prior in week one, but just the fact that this was a true road game. It was you know, a, a, a dominant performance by Oregon. Uh, you know, Ohio State again trailing the entire game except for those four minutes where they were able to tie it up. Uh, but but really, if you're Ohio State, you can't be too disappointed with the offense. This you know, offense got 612 total yards. It's your defense that you have to point the finger of blame at uh, for allowing the Ducks to put together really long touchdown drives, right? We touched on that first one, or I said it was, you know, it was a 10 play 99 yard drive. Well they had a seven play uh, 65 yard touchdown drive. They also had a seven play 75 yard touchdown drive and then a six play 74 yard touchdown drive. And all of those drives, I'm looking right here at the, at the stat sheet, the longest touchdown drive for Oregon was their opening score. Three minutes, 57 seconds. Every single touchdown drive for the Ducks was done in under four minutes of game time. So the blame really rests on the Ohio State defense for not being able to shut down that Oregon offense. Now, you can't take away what Oregon accomplished here. This is, a, again, this is a big deal for the Ducks. Uh, but again, in the stat category, at least on, on, on the offensive side, Ohio State looks like they should have come out on top. They had more first downs. They had more time of possession, more total yards. But, uh, but Oregon's defense, which isn't something that they've necessarily been known for uh, the last few years, stepped up. Again, they had that one turnover they forced uh, from Ohio State, and uh, they were able to come out and prevail in, I think, you know, what could end up being one of the biggest non-conference games uh, this year. Now, I, you know, we say all this, and I'm not trying to discredit the Georgia-Clemson game and the significance of that, because at the time I said that's a top five non-conference matchup of the year, and I still believe that is. But this game easily could be top three, if not possibly 
the most significant just because, you know, Oregon was, yeah, they were picked by a lot of people, myself included, to win the Pac-12. I, I had the Ducks winning the Pac-12 and getting into that college football playoff discussion uh, with the likes of maybe an A&M or a Cincinnati um, or, or Oklahoma, you know, one of those teams that's kind of on the bubble, so to speak. But a win like this on the road in week three, if the Ducks are able to get through their Pac-12 schedule, which I talked about last show, right? Remember we were talking about the records of the conferences after the opening week. The Pac-12 North had one team get a win in the first week, and it was Oregon. Every other team in their division in the Pac-12 North dropped their game. So Oregon right now has got to be thinking, man, if we just clean our division the Pac-12 North, and we get through a Pac-12 championship, they're they're a lock for the playoff. Oregon is probably, I would say, the first team who has really set themselves up very well. Now, now Georgia doesn't necessarily have the same luxury because they still need to get through the SEC, and that's going to have Alabama, right? Oregon doesn't have a similar caliber opponent in the Pac-12. They do have UCLA, who they will uh, face later on this season. I believe they face yeah UCLA. They'll play on the road October 23rd. But Oregon, besides that and besides a trip to Utah on November 20th, which Utah didn't look great in the game against BYU, it's pretty smooth sailing. You've got a trip to Stanford, Cal at home. You host Colorado. You travel to Washington. Winnable games for the Ducks. Very winnable games. Georgia is playing in the softer division of the SEC, which is the East, and they should get through that division. I think this is you know not going to be Florida's year to win that division. I think it'll be Georgia, but Georgia will more than likely have to face either Alabama, A&M, which is sort of a up-in-the-air team now after the Colorado performance, or maybe even Ole Miss, right? We just don't know. Well, Ole Miss has looked extremely impressive the past few weeks. So all that's to say, this is a huge win, not just for college football playoff implications, but big picture for the Oregon Ducks program and sort of their reascending into national prominence. I mean, there's a reason there's a four next to the Ducks name on the uh, the latest polls, uh, and I think that's I think it's warranted. I think Oregon has demonstrated they are playing like a top four team right now, like a playoff caliber team. Um, Iowa is another school that I really think deserves uh, almost more recognition than they're getting. I mean, I know that that they have gotten some love now after taking down uh, Iowa State, and they're they're sitting there at five. And I, I you know, I think they're playing like a top five football team right now. Um, Oklahoma is kind of the only team right now in the top five that I'm I'm sort of unsure why they're still there. Uh, I understand they're they're two and zero, oh, but you know, their performances really haven't been super impressive. Um, but but again, the love for Oregon and the love for Iowa, which we'll get into that Iowa game in the next segment, uh, I think is completely warranted. So again, Oregon, they will not face another ranked opponent until October 23rd at UCLA. Should be 6-0 and heading into that game. They're going to have a healthy defense uh, when Kayvon... Um, the Bodex, I think is his name, and then linebacker Justin Flo returned from their injuries that they sustained uh, in the Ohio State matchup. Uh, that They'll be, I think, primed 
and ready to go. If Oregon can prevail against UCLA and Utah, both road games, it's really it's time to take the Pac-12 seriously again as a playoff contender because the committee is absolutely going to. They're going to look at that Ohio State performance by Oregon, and they're going to put them in the serious contenders box because that is uh, an extremely perf- you know, impressive non-conference win. Again, I think right now the most impressive uh, and significant non-conference win for any team so far this season. So great win for Mario Cristobal and his Oregon Ducks team. Uh, he said afterwards that it was sort of a, a quote, testament to the process uh, that he believes is working in Eugene. And, um, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's, the biggest win in program history, but it's a pretty big deal. When you travel to the Horseshoe and you play Ohio State at their stadium, you know, a stadium where uh, it's, it's always full, it's always rocking, it's, you know, it's a tough place to play, and you, you know, wire to wire, lead, or are tied at the entire, you know, through the entire duration of the game, that is an extremely impressive performances, uh, one of the most impressive performances I, I've seen out of a Pac-12 team in in years. Uh, that is their first win all time against Ohio State. They were, I believe, 9, they were 0-9. Ohio State would have been 9-0, but Oregon was 0-9 all time facing uh, Ohio State. So, yeah, again, they did it without two of their best defensive players uh, in front of a crowd of over 100,000. And, um, yeah, it's a huge win. Huge, huge win for Oregon. So congrats to the Ducks. All right, let's take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to dive into the Iowa-Iowa State matchup. That is a big game, Big Ten, Big 12 squaring off. We'll discuss that next. Welcome back to the show. Again, thanks so much for tuning in to After Further Review. I'm Jay Smith. Uh, this Iowa Iowa State matchup uh, was certainly one that I was I was watching closely. I picked the Hawkeyes in this game. I felt like their defense uh, isn't really getting as much credit as they should. This is a defense that could contend with the likes of Clemson and Georgia. This is a top five defense in the country, and they're playing like it right now. I mean, all you have to do is is look at how they've performed. I mean, they had the scoop and score against Iowa State this past weekend. Um, you know, and just being able to shut down uh, offenses on the other side of the field that are usually prolific, right? Iowa State, a team that's been averaging in the low to mid-30s points per game these past few years, where they were held to 17 points at home. Um, so the Cyclones really struggled, and um, you know, for Iowa, they they stuck to their formula that worked: ground and pound. Um, you know, trying to keep defenses honest, and you know, not uh, not making too many mistakes. I mean, you 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 look at um, at the performances on the stat sheet, and uh, the, you know, quarterback uh, Petrus, he was. Only 11 for 21 with 100 yards passing and a TD. Uh, their leading rusher, Goodson, had 21 carries for, for just 55 yards. But, it, you know, it was enough. It was enough. And, again, 
when you look at the, the, the stat sheet, the box score, and you compare these stats, you go, just like with the Oregon-Ohio State game, you go, wait a minute, what, what's, what's the deal here? Because Iowa State outgained Iowa 339 to 173. They had more first downs, the Cyclones at 21, the Hawkeyes with 11. Where's, what, 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 you know, why is this a 10-point ball game in favor of Iowa? Well, the answer is the turnover margin, which is, you know, large part due to the defensive performance we saw out of the Hawkeyes. Four turnovers for Iowa State. That'll lose you football games. When you give a team like Iowa that can milk the clock, that can ground and pound, keep you honest, when you give them four free possessions, you're really not only limiting your offense's ability to score, but you're you're going to wear your defense out eventually. You you can't you can't do that. Uh, now Iowa definitely probably feels like they left points out there on the field. Like if you get the ball four times for free and you're still under 30 total points, you you definitely have to go. Okay, there are some things on offense that we need to clean up. And and again, this wasn't a perfect performance for the Hawkeyes. There were miscues for both teams throughout this game. But the important thing for Iowa, the biggest takeaway here if you're an Iowa fan, is the Hawkeyes managed the game. They 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 were ta- they took what they were given. They didn't try to go out there and, and make crazy plays and get these huge chunk yards and and just gash Iowa State for 20 and 30 yards of play. They methodically and slowly and deliberately managed the game and, and ultimately that's what helped them prevail. You know, the turnovers Certainly, were a contributing factor, but that defense is for real. That that Iowa defense, I would not be surprised if Iowa is on the plus side for turnover margin in at least nine or ten games this season. I mean, it's really like people I don't think quite are giving them the credit that they deserve. Maybe after this performance, that that'll start you know started to kind of turn heads, uh, but. You know, if you're Iowa, this is a big win because this is a non-conference game. I mean, we just talked about a huge non-conference game and what that means in terms of CFP and where you're going to get seated and perception and those sorts of things. These are big wins. These are big wins for Oregon. These are big wins for Iowa. I don't think a win over the Cyclones carries as much significance as a win over Ohio State, and I don't think a win over, you know, I I think Georgia's win over Clemson and Oregon's win over Ohio State carry more weight than Iowa's win over Iowa State, but this is still certainly a big deal, and that's why you see the Hawkeyes at five. Uh, Now, they're going to have another opportunity. They're going to have another opportunity when they play Penn State at home October 9th. They will travel to Camp Randall at Wisconsin on October 30th. You figure that'll be a great game. But it's really the Penn State matchup that I'm going to be watching you know, very closely because if they're able to get through that Penn State matchup, I think even though a lot of the guys in that locker room, they already believe that this could be a breakthrough kind of year for them, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's still... You know, there are some things they need to clean up on offense. Like I said, you were given the ball four times and you're only coming away with 27 points. You're, you're, you know, you're going to have to score 
uh, a, a little bit more than that, especially when you're given that many opportunities. Um, I know that that Wisconsin Iowa game is a is a probably a more important game just because you know Wisconsin Iowa are both in the Big Ten West together. Uh, the Penn State game is a cross division game for Iowa, but you know if if you're if you're the Hawkeyes, Penn State's about as good as any team you're going to face out of the East. We'll see how Ohio State bounces back after their loss to Oregon, but that could very well be the team that you're you're facing. You know, I mean, you just you just don't know. I mean, you still have three teams at the top of the East in the Big Ten. You got Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State. Of those three, you figure Penn State, Ohio State will probably be um, the the two that will determine. You know, that game will determine who's going to represent the East. But this will be a great test for Iowa. Uh, because there's just not a lot of other competition for them in the West besides the Badgers. And remember, the Badgers already dropped a game, right? Wisconsin lost to Penn State in their season opener 16-10. to So, yes, we're using a little bit of the transitive property here, but if Iowa beats Penn State, who beat Wisconsin, if you're Iowa, you're probably feeling pretty good. Now, you, you could go full circle and have Wisconsin beat Iowa, and then everybody cancels everybody out, right? But certainly, for the Hawkeyes, their sights are set on the Nittany Lions. Uh, and again, that game will be played on October 9th at home. So certainly going to be a big one. I would imagine game day will, will probably be there um, if both of these teams are still undefeated going into that matchup, because as it stands right now, it's a top 10 matchup, and uh, if we see the same kind of, of uh, shakeups we've seen these past few weeks across college football, who knows, it could be a top 7, top 5 matchup maybe, you just, you just don't know uh, how things will go, so yeah, I mean, this is a big win for the Iowa Hawkeyes, certainly out of conference win, but what they've demonstrated to me these past two weeks now with the win, dominate you know, dominating fashion against Indiana at home, 34-6, and now on the road in Ames at Iowa State, 27-17. The Hawkeyes are a legit, uh, they are a legit football team that can probably right now play with just about anybody. If they were to go up against Clemson right now, I think I'd pick Iowa. Uh, if they were to go up against A&M right now, I think I would pick Iowa. You know, there's certainly still some teams like Alabama and Georgia uh, that I don't think, you know, I don't think Iowa would prevail there, but Clemson, A&M, and Oklahoma, I think Iowa beats them. Right now, if the game was played tonight, I think Iowa wins that game. They look like the more aggressive football team compared to those three I just listed. They look like the more um, well-rounded team, a more prepared team, a more disciplined team. And Clemson, Oklahoma, and... Um, and uh, the uh, the third team that I now cannot remember uh, who was it was Clemson, Oklahoma, and goodness I'm blanking on that third team. But either way, right? They they they're not as prepared. They're not as well rounded. So you got to think that uh, that you know if you're Iowa, you just get through that Penn State game. Should be smooth sailing to a possible Big Ten uh, matchup and an opportunity to play uh, in, in a, either a big bowl game or maybe even the CFP. So great win for the Hawkeyes. 
And, uh, and yeah, they're, again, in prime position now in the Big Ten uh, West. All right, one last break. We come back. We will be talking about Florida State and their extremely uh, unfortunate loss to Jacksonville State, uh, the first loss for Florida State as a program against an FCS school. We'll break that down all next. Welcome back to the show. Last segment of this episode of After Further Review. Again, appreciate you tuning in, whether you're watching to AFR uh, on Facebook or if you're listening to the AFR podcast. It's available on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcast to appreciate it. And I remember now that third team, I, I know before in this previous segment, I couldn't remember that third team I had listed, but it was Clemson, A&M, and Oklahoma. Those are the three schools that I think Iowa would beat right now. Sometimes you just, it slips, right? I, I had the note in front of me and then I, I switched to something else I was looking at and I just couldn't remember uh, who that third team was. So I got glad I got that cleared up. Let's talk now in this last segment about Florida State. Uh, this is a, a team that, you know, I think surprised a lot of people with their uh, determination against Notre Dame and just how, you know, close they were able to get uh, to the Fighting Irish in that matchup. Eventually, obviously dropping the game, uh, I think it was 41 to, to 38. But, you know, people were still like, okay, maybe, maybe Mike Norvell has got uh, Florida State in a you know a better spot and the culture of the program is is you know turning over a new leaf and and they're starting to sort of believe in themselves again. I mean there was a lot of optimism, a lot of optimism even after that loss. Well, all that optimism just went out the window. Uh, Jacksonville State traveled to Tallahassee on Saturday. Uh, an FCS school, and Florida State went uh, went into that matchup, I, I think, with probably pretty high hopes. Now, things got a little ominous during the first quarter when it was scoreless. At the end of one, Florida State did have the lead going into the half, 14-7, to and then the third quarter was pretty quiet, just a, a, a lone field goal by the Seminoles to go up 17-7. to But the fourth quarter saw Jacksonville State score on an 11-play, 97-yard drive in five minutes uh, with just over four uh, and a half minutes left to play. So it was a three-point ball game with under five minutes to play. And Florida State couldn't seal it out. They could not close the deal. They couldn't get the first downs they needed to chew up the clock. And the Gamecocks of Jacksonville State Put together a 10-play, 83-yard drive in a minute 31. And a Hail Mary from former Clemson quarterback Zarek Cooper to Damon Filial Johnson resulted in a win for Jacksonville State and the first loss for Florida State against an FCS program all time. A... Really no other way to, to slice and dice this one. A extremely embarrassing loss for uh, for Florida State. I mean, this is probably the lowest point the program has ever been, which when you look at and consider everything that's transpired in the last four or five years, it's 
hard to even believe that that's like we all thought. Okay, this is as bad as it gets. Like the, the Florida State will not get any worse than this. They they will they will climb out of this hole, get sort of back into respectable standing in the ACC, and they'll be mediocre for a while. Get another you know coach maybe ten years down the road to get them back into the national spotlight. No, it's it's they're still they're still going trending down. They are still trending down. Um, you know, and listen, Mike Norvell. There was a lot of people who understandably questioned the defensive scheme the last play. And if you go back and you watch it, and I've had a chance to, the Seminoles weren't in prevent, uh, which is typically when you'll drop safeties back, right? Like to like you know even the goal line or maybe the you know your ten or fifteen or twenty five yard line, you know forty yards back from the line of scrimmage to basically prevent anybody from running past you or you know any sort of deep ball threat. Uh, according to Norvell, they were playing, you know, basically to prevent, I mean, they, they were, their scheme that they had set up was an attempt to try and get pressure on the quarterback because they still had six seconds on the clock and a timeout. So, I mean, I, I guess I understand the thought process of like, we don't want him to just sit back. We don't want to bring three guys and him just sit back there and have 10 seconds to throw the ball. Like we want to make him throw the ball under duress. Um, so I, I don't necessarily fault the, I don't think the thought process is what's really at, at fault here. It's more the execution on defense because if you go back and you watch it, right? Like he makes the catch, you know, I mean, he, he, this Jacksonville State receiver makes the catch at like the 15-yard line and basically out-jukes two Florida State defenders to get into the end zone. Like, it wasn't like he just caught the ball in a Hail Mary and it was almost a freak-type play. No, this dude caught the ball just inside the red zone and then had to juke out two Florida State defenders. So, while I, I, I you know, I understand that the play call and the scheme there was probably flawed, flawed at best. At the end of the day, you got to tackle the guy. Like you've got to tackle him. You first off, you can't let him run, you know, by you, right? You have to make sure that he's not, you know, ahead of you or or any position to make a clean catch, which is what he did. There was no one around him when he made that grab, and basically he just outjuked the two Florida State defenders and then just walked right into the end zone. Game over. And and I, I don't know what Florida State was thinking there. I don't understand how, you know, that uh, didn't get considered as a possibility that they were going to heave one deep and they should have some more guys back there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is their first FCS loss in school history. And, um, you know, I've seen some people say, well, is this Florida State team going to quit? Because there was some, some stuff last year and the year prior where, People say that uh, the team sort of quit on, on Willie Taggart, and Norvell came out on Monday, and, and he was pretty fired up, and he said he was you know sick to his stomach, and the team's not going to quit, and that they need to uh, you know build and get better, and um, you know something that they'll look back on obviously, and nobody wants to have this experience. And I'm I'm using uh, language he used in his press conference today. Um, he's saying that you know nobody wants to have the experience, nobody wants to have those feelings, but it's our opportunity to respond to it, and it's our opportunity to go get better. Um, so, I mean, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I can't I can't imagine, uh, 
I, I can't imagine that the school, the alumni base, you know, fan base, the administration, they're they're not going to sit by and 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 watch Florida State lose to FCS schools without um, without something to say about it. So, you know, Norvell's seat certainly is is warm at the at the minimum here, and I could see a situation where if he doesn't get it turned around. By the end of the year, he could be gone out of Tallahassee. I mean, this is this is the kind of loss that it really. I mean, look look at what happened. You know, again, it depends on when you listen to these shows. But earlier today, right, USC canned uh, their their head coach um, Clay Helton. So I mean, USC has uh, has fired Clay Helton after just uh, two losses. Right, the the embarrassing loss to Stanford. You know. They, that they decided that they, that they had had enough. Um, now there were some interesting comments I read uh, about that firing and how it was more about they they needed a, a quote change in leadership. So I'm not sure if there was an issue that we don't necessarily know about yet, or if something else was going on. Uh, but to make that move two days after that 42 to 28 loss. Uh, at home to Stanford. I mean, the Trojans were one and one. You know, it wasn't like they were starting zero uh, and two. Uh, this is guy Clay Helton, who you know, in his seventh season uh, in LA, and um, yeah, I, 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 you know, he was forty six and twenty four um, during his his tenure at USC. And, uh, you know, he had the opportunity to take over after being the interim head coach uh, in, in the late 2015. So, yeah, I mean, it's just really I was kind of surprised that they, uh, they got rid of him this early into uh, the, the year. Because, you know, for a long time, USC had some disciplinary issues. They had some off-the-field issues. They had some violations and stuff. And he brought, he brought stability. You know, Clay Helton brought a lot of stability to that culture in that locker room ran a pretty clean program, you know, so far as we know. I mean, there's been nothing really major that's come out of there. Uh, any sort of violations certainly can't compare it to the Pete Carroll uh, era. But, you know, his locker room rallied behind him. He inspired a lot of loyalty and love from his players. And, you know, he, I think he even was pretty popular amongst the fan base, even though USC wasn't in the national spotlight every year. I think Clay Helton was a pretty beloved figure by a lot of players and alums and fans. And, you know, they, they had the Rose Bowl win after that 2016 season, the Pac-12 title in 2017 with, with Sam Darnold. Um, certainly, they didn't live up to the expectations that USC had set, but those are sky-high expectations that it's almost, you know, unrealistic to and only a few teams hit that every year, right? Like a lot of teams aspire for a college football playoff berth, but four teams get that every year. Like that, you have to be realistic. Um, so, you know, it could have something to do with the last few years being sort of iffy. I mean, again, you look at these past few seasons, since 2017, Clay Helton was 19 and 14. Uh, but um, again, you know, two games into the year, he's gone. So, yeah, if you're Mike Norvell, you flip this back to Florida State here. I know we got off on a little bit of a uh, tangent, but if you flip it back to Florida State, um, you know, it, it's it certainly begs the question, you know, how long will Mike Norvell last in Tallahassee? Because, you know, again, you look at this sort of play, this sort of situation, 
You got six seconds left, and rather than play prevent defense, the Seminoles rushed four. Um, and uh, they had two players in position to make that tackle on Damon Filial Johnson when he caught the ball. At, and I, I want to be clear, he caught the ball at the 21-yard line. I earlier referenced about around the 15. I was just guessing. I, I thought it was inside the red zone. It turns out it was the 21-yard line, and they both missed him. So really, that, at least in my opinion, that's on the that's that, that's on your defense. That's on those guys that didn't make those tackles, right? If you if if someone catches the ball and gets 21 additional yards after reception, that's a failure on defense. Yes, the scheme could have been better. But that's an execution issue. We talked a lot about the you know the reversal of that with the Clemson loss to Georgia, where at least on the offensive side, you know the the scheme was bad. Like there was still sort of an execution, kinda at times, but the play calling itself uh, wasn't setting up the players to be successful. Uh, and so you know in this particular situation with with Florida State, I mean yeah. It could have been better. It certainly could have been better. They, they could have played prevent and done the smart thing. But my God, this guy caught the ball at the 21-yard line, and there were two defenders right in his way, and he just he out-juked both of them. So uh, a shocking loss for Florida State and one that they certainly will, will want to will want to put behind them. And, and really the last two weeks, right, because the Seminoles have lost both of their games this season on the final play, right? Notre Dame in overtime in week one. Uh, and I know that the outcome was different in terms of what they got post-game, right? They were pretty much praised by pundits across the country for their performance against the Irish. Everybody was like, wow, Florida State showing grit, determination, spirit, and they lost to FCS opponent Jacksonville State, and now they've become the laughingstock of the country. So we'll see how things go for the Seminoles. Uh, really, really quickly, though, I do want to... Uh, touch on some of the other uh, matchups and, and games and outcomes from week two. Uh, it was a great week, pretty much you know across the board. Again, a week that I think you know some people were saying it wouldn't be that exciting, uh, but but overall uh, was was pretty was pretty entertaining. Um, you know, yeah, Alabama and Georgia played nobody, right? Alabama playing Mercer, Georgia playing UAB, Clemson played South Carolina State. Oklahoma played Western Carolina. Like, what are these schools doing playing these games? I'm sorry, but I, I was at the Clemson game on Saturday, and I just I just don't, there is no benefit uh, other than the financial assistance that those schools receive. There is no benefit for Clemson to play this game against South Carolina State. It, it does nothing uh, but give us reps, I guess. And, and yeah, I understand it's a confidence thing, and it allows, you know, guys to get... Um, you know, comfortable in a less intense game environment, but um, like Cincinnati's playing Murray State, Notre Dame's playing Toledo, Penn State played Ball State. Like, just you know, matchups that they mean nothing, and especially for Clemson, a team and a school that really they need some good games on their resume because that game against Georgia that they lost uh, was the only decent ranked matchup they had had, they were going to have all year. Uh, but some other games, obviously one of the big ones was the Texas-Arkansas game. Arkansas dominated that 40-21. to 21, um, Pretty, you know, impressive performance for the Razorbacks, a team that's been the bottom barrel of the SEC these past few years. 
Uh, I don't think this is as much about them turning a corner as it is more about just exposing the fact that Texas is probably not really a top 15 team. Uh, certainly, Sarkeesian, you know, has talent and he's developing it there. And I think Texas will still pay, you know, be, be a fairly successful team this fall. Uh, but, I, I, you know, this was a, a good reality check for the Longhorns. So well, welcome to the SEC, right? Because that's where they'll be. Uh, in a few seasons. They'll probably be playing in the West, too. So they'll be playing Arkansas a, a good bit. Uh, Utah and BYU mentioned that game a little bit earlier. Uh, obviously, the Utes lost to BYU 26-17. So, yeah, good a good win for, for BYU. And I watched most of this game. It was rocking the whole time. I had a monsoon in the middle of the third quarter. It just started raining sheets. But uh, it was a you know great atmosphere for the Cougars, and they picked up a pretty big win against a, uh, a ranked Pac-12 opponent. Uh, Pittsburgh and Tennessee played uh, in one of the few, I think maybe if not the only ACC versus SEC game uh, this past week and uh, ended up prevailing. Pittsburgh won that one at Tennessee 41-34. to So a good win for Pitt because Tennessee you know, is seen as a good pretty decent middle-tier SEC opponent, and we talked about last week the ACC's abysmal start to the season, so they needed something like this, right? They needed, you know, not a marquee win, because those are those opportunities have already gone by with Miami losing to Alabama, Clemson losing to Georgia, but still, you want to have at least one win against your sort of rival conference, so a good win for, for Pittsburgh on the road. Uh, those are probably the biggest games that stuck out to me. Obviously, the uh, Air Force at Navy game on 9-11 was, was pretty special, even though Air Force dominated that one and won 23-3 over Navy. Uh, the NC State-Mississippi State game uh, was, was another actual ACC-SEC matchup, so I was incorrect on that statement earlier. And the Bulldogs prevailed 24 to 10 over the Wolfpack. So, you know, again, uh, Mississippi State, Mike Leach, maybe starting to figure things out on the offensive side. But if you're NC State, you really got to be scratching your head, going, you know, what do we have to do? <laughs> what do we have to do to to have a an offense? Because I, 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 you know, defensively, NC State's not that bad. They have talent. Um, they, they've always got a pretty good front seven. It's just the offense and their skill players. It's just lack of execution. Um, there's just not a lot of cohesion and chemistry there. And so they continue to struggle. They continue to struggle on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of, you know, exciting games from this past weekend. Uh, we'll do a show later this week where we preview week three and check out all the matchups there. But, uh, yeah, now this was a big week for college football, a lot going on. And, again, the big takeaway, for me at least, from week two is that Oregon and Iowa have put themselves in prime position to be in that college football playoff discussion at the end of the season if they're able to get uh, into their respective conference championship games. And if you're Oregon and you're the only undefeated team in the Pac-12 North and you got UCLA at really the only ranked game you're probably going to have the rest of the year. You got to be feeling pretty good. And if you're Iowa, 
you're looking at that uh, not only the Wisconsin game on the road, but the Penn State game at home. Those will be big games for the Hawkeyes if their defense shows up and performs like they did against Indiana and Iowa State. Iowa will certainly be near the top of the CFP's rankings. We'll see for programs like Ohio State uh, and Clemson that now have a loss just a couple weeks into the year, how they're able to rebound and come back. But uh, yeah, things are starting to get interesting. So stay tuned for more. We'll we'll be keeping uh, tabs on everything college football related throughout the season. That's all the time we got for this episode of After Further Review. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.